What's going on, everyone? Welcome to State of the Nova Nation, presented by the Hoops. She's Emma Houghton. I'm Pat Zhang. As you can tell, it is just I tonight. No, Emma did not resign her post after the events of Tuesday night, though who could blame her? She is just unavailable for tonight. So we are stuck with just me, and we are going to conduct this post-mortem together. Now, I've done a lot of thinking since this game ended late on Tuesday night, how I wanted to conduct this episode. Obviously, emotions, reactions, feelings are running very, very high after uh, what did happen on Tuesday night, of course, with Villanova losing 75-65 to to DePaul, snapping a 22-game win streak, Blues banning over 5,480 days, as well as 15 years. With how things ended up playing out on Tuesday night, a lot of it were things that we've seen many times over, whether they were just bubbling to the surface or have been right in front of us. So I think from from listening to this show all season long, a lot of my thoughts have been made pretty clear uh, on what I think about this team. So I think it'll be more fun or more interesting because nothing was fun about how things played out on Tuesday nights. If we really turn the attention to you guys and, and the questions that were asked. So, you know, I, I always enjoy tweeting from the, the state of the Nova nation Twitter account. If you guys are not following it, please do. We are on the road to a thousand followers and appreciate all of you that follow and, and interact with it and ask your questions every week. And, you know, we, we always ask for questions uh, on our Thursday episode. However, this one in particular, I have never seen the sort of reaction that we got with how many questions came in and just knowing that it's a solo show and understanding everything that went into Tuesday and knowing that you've all heard me many times this season. Uh, I, I like the focus to, to turn more on interacting with you guys. So while we normally wait for the end of the show and kind of finish on a fun note with, with what you ask, that is going to be a, really a bulk uh, of this episode is going through all the different questions that were asked and kind of how we move forward from there. But before that, I am going to give you a little bit of the game story just to set things up. But the goal here is to not have this uh, be all that long. So as I said, of course, Nova dropping that game by 10 to DePaul and rock bottom. Rock bottom is just the term that continues to play through my mind over and over again now the thing about rock bottom is that you never really know if you're there until you're on the ascension we most certainly do not know if this wildcat team is on the ascension however the feeling just that overarching feeling of the failure that did occur on tuesday i think is what leads us to that rock bottom thought and why is it rock bottom you know just talked about the 15 year winning streak that had spanned really for DePaul. Uh, it's the frustration of losing to a team that since this conference had realigned, had perpetually been at the bottom of the standings before the, the Death Star known as Patrick Ewing came in at Georgetown. And even with that, both of those schools have really jostled with uh, the bottom spot in the Big East standings. So losing that game on Tuesday night at Wintrust Arena to a team that has just you dominated for over a decade it's striking, it's startling, and it creates a, a visceral reaction, especially in the way that this loss did happen. And how did this loss happen? 
Well, it was yet again another example of how this team has really failed to execute on what makes or what has made Villanova basketball Villanova basketball over this golden age of Nova hoops that we've been so lucky to experience over the last 10, 15 years. Starting off yet again, Villanova coughed the ball up 14 times in terms of turnovers. DePaul was able to score 19 points off of those 14 turnovers, which isn't even a great ratio. But when you turn the ball over 14 times, you're going to create opportunities for a team that even a team that's not very good like DePaul to score on you. I think there's a lot of frustration as well and in something that I promise I won't harp on for this episode, but guess again, Villanova shot 25 threes actually coming in under the number that Emma and I had proposed at that over under of 25 and a half. Man, I set that one really well. I'll give myself a pat on the back for that. Uh, but they only made seven of them clocking in at 28%, which of course is just quite simply not good enough for a team that continues to shoot them. So Villanova shoots 28% from three on Tuesday night. Now on the season, the Cats come in at 33% as a team. That is over 200th in the country in terms of three-point percentage, yet they take the sixth most amount of threes per field goal attempt. Something there doesn't add up, and it just doesn't make any sense that they continue to go with this approach after it just hasn't worked time and time again. There was a quote from the post game that really did stick with me from Kyle Neptune, and it was about Deshaun Nelson, of course, the standout player for DePaul, who really had his way with Villanova on Tuesday night. And the quote from Neptune was just, it's a very simple quote. It's a very short quote, but I think it really sums up some of the struggles that we've seen from this team. And it's about Deshaun Nelson. He was stronger than us. He bullied us. End quote. Villanova basketball in years past was never the team that got bullied. It was Villanova that was able to dictate tempo and dictate the way that games are played. They were able to control games. Everything was always up to Villanova and is how they sliced and diced the game. That's not the case anymore. And we haven't seen that this season. Villanova, especially defensively, is all over the place and is really on a whim as they go up against these different teams. I mean, we talked about it in our preview on Tuesday. This DePaul team, if we just look at average height, is actually smaller than Villanova. However, the Blue Deacons, Blue Demons, excuse me, absolutely had their way inside. Uh, yet again, I mean, Eric Dixon had a great game on the offensive side of the ball, and it's something that I really, really want to see games run through him. I'll, I'll say it until I'm blue in the face defensively. He got crushed in, in, in some of these situations from DePaul here. And Nelson really was the uh, overarching figure in being able to do that uh, on the inside part of, of the post. So I think that was a really frustrating part of this game. And it's something that most certainly stuck with me, you know, in terms of being able to control tempo and control games as well, this Villanova team has been very poor in the second half, especially in Big East play for defensively points allowed. Now, it's great that they allowed 22 points against Georgetown on the road, which really let them, you know, ride into that game and, and take it in a way where, where it was rather comfortable. 
we all know about Georgetown. I'll refrain on taking a shot at them for now until the end of the episode. They held Marquette to 29 points. That's fine. You know, you can get away with holding, especially a good offensive team like Marquette to 29 points in the second half. It just, of course, ended up not being enough as Villanova dropped that game. It's the last couple games, though, that I'll I'll spotlight here. 41 points allowed to the UConn Huskies, 53 to Xavier, and then 45 second half points scored by DePaul. Just to put that into some sort of a context, in a game in December, DePaul scored 45 points against Northwestern. Through the entire game, they finished with 45. And against this iteration of the Villanova Wildcats, they dropped 45 points in the second half. Plain and simple, that is not good enough. Effort is always a very tricky thing to quantify. It's a tricky thing to really be able to measure. And I think it's also a tricky thing to really point out because it's not fair. I don't look at these kids that are out there and say, oh, they're not trying. They're not Villanova basketball players in that way. I don't believe that for a second. However, there were times in this game where it felt like the cohesiveness just wasn't there. And maybe some of that drive, that extra drive that we've seen from Villanova teams when they are in their groove. We'll put this game away really for what for DePaul was over a six and a half minute stretch. They outscored Villanova 18 to five. It, it's something we've seen way too many times this year where Villanova completely dries up on offense. This defense is not good enough to be able to find a prolonged period of time where they're going to be able to get stops. What happens? DePaul gets out to a 50 41 lead and really never looks back. Villanova made it semi-close in the last minute when Caleb Daniels hits a three with around 50 seconds left. But it never felt like Nova was going to be able to claw themselves back into that game. And then finally, you know, just a a couple of player spotlights before I move into your questions, because I really do want to focus on your questions uh, in this episode. We'll take the the bright spot for me, and it really was the lone bright spot for me because, as I said, as much as Eric Dixon had a double-double, 22-10, and 10, I thought he was very poor on the defensive side, and a part of it's not fully his fault. He's asked to play as a center on defense uh, against traditional bigs when he is not that, you know, he's just not built that way. He doesn't have the size, you know, I, I will credit CBS Sports and Lapis specifically, you know, going to to Villanova's rim protection and and lack of rim protection. They have none of it. And I kid you not when I say they have none of it. They are 355th out of 363 teams in the country in defensive block percentage. That's why teams are able to get to the get to the hole at will because there's not really uh, too much of there's nothing in the back of their minds that say, "Oh, I'm going to get blocked here. I'm not going to be able to get a, a bucket off, a shot off." because there is no ability to protect the rim. But we look at at the positive spot. It's a simple positive spot. It was Cam Whitmore here. Again, really oozing that talent. It's why the 17 scouts were in attendance on Tuesday night at Wintrust. And what it was, it was a really a a picture of how things are, are just not fully meshing together here. Where what did Cam Whitmore do on Tuesday? It was spectacular, most of what he did, where... What he created was on the run, in transition, high-flying dunks, steals. You know, there's a missed free throw, and then he finishes with a dunk about two seconds later with Villanova pushing the ball up. That is such a disconnect from what we've seen on Villanova basketball. And I think it's a part of what makes Cam so much fun 
to watch as a Villanovan is because he is so different, but it also shows, you know, as we get into maybe some of the more overall points about roster construction as such that there, this team wasn't put together in a way that we've really seen from Villanova over the past couple of years. Now I take nothing away from Cam Whitmore. As I said, he is the bright spot and he is going to be one of the most exciting parts of finishing out this season here for Villanova. But it just makes you think uh, as, as we go to the negatives, you know, I, I start really with, with Brandon Slater. I've mentioned it over the last couple episodes. I say it again. He has been my most disappointing player uh, for me this season for the cats, for what I expected from a guy coming in now as a graduate student, completely knows the system, you know, knows Neptune from, from previous time when Kyle was on the staff has had time to grow into his role, has developed and done things better. And we just, we haven't seen that from him this year finished with five points finished with four turnovers and five personal fouls you know whenever you have more turnovers and fouls and points it's usually not a good night there were some inexcusable errors from him as well he stepped out of bounds when he received a ball uh by the DePaul bench he lost a ball dribbling in the middle of the lane when he dribbled in front of three DePaul players he got boxed out for a really crucial offensive rebound for DePaul down the stretch that they went back up for and extended their lead it's been poor from Slate and it stings as someone that really has supported him, you know, through the years, but I try to call it as it is. And I, I do not think that he's been particularly good lately. Villanova struggled in, in terms of depth. You know, Mark Armstrong just had his best game as a wildcat against Georgetown really struggled to make any sort of an impact here against DePaul DePaul to their credit, almost immediately started doubling Villanova when they went into the post early on and they were able to force some easy turnovers and get some easy buckets off of that. Why did they do that? They know Villanova can't shoot. They know Villanova can't hit you, hurt you from beyond the arc, which and Armstrong is certainly falls into that category as he has not been able to find any sort of a groove. And I believe he's around 26, 25% from three for this season, which obviously isn't good enough to be able to have teams really respect what you can do out there. And then the interesting one, that that I point to is Caleb Daniels and Caleb Daniels is such an incredibly important player for this Villanova team. Uh, we know that he has the ability to put them on his back when it comes to scoring and he's done. So he scored over 20 points and over the last couple games, obviously did not do so here with just 12 finished four of 16 and three of 13 from beyond the arc. More of my issue is that for this season now as a whole, 56% of his field goal attempts have been from beyond the arc. He has shown that he can hit them. He, he has shown that he can get hot from him. Hey, over the last couple games, I believe he shot just around a little around 42%. That's pretty good. Not pretty good. That's very good. You'll take that. But on nights like Tuesday night, when it very clearly wasn't working to continue to see him throw up the threes, I think that leads to a lot of gripes. And for me, especially it was early on in the game. What happened? Caleb backed down his guy, got into a good position, rose up, scored a nice bucket, um, you know, inside the paint. And he said, there we go. That's what I'm looking for. That was a Villanova back down. Here we go. It never happened again for the rest of the game. I don't understand why it's something that I think we need to see continue to change. Um, but I will try and stop harping on the three point shooting. Okay, you've heard enough of me at this point. We all know what happened. We all we all understand it. But like I said, I'd rather start to, to go interact with you guys and kind of let you lead the conversation. 
So also let me know your thoughts on, on this type of episode as we move forward. We can try and incorporate them more often. But starting things off here with a question from Big Tasty, with the benefit of hindsight, shouldn't we have all seen this coming? At some point, graduation to and done transfers from the last few years would catch up with the program. You know, you are not wrong in, in saying that. And yes, hindsight, of course, is 2020. I don't know if we can say we should have seen this coming at this rate to where they're eight and nine have really struggled to pick up any sort of, of quality win and have losses, you know, of Temple, of Portland, and and now of DePaul, which feels like the most damning of them all. I'm not sure we could have predicted that. However, we most certainly could have and at times did predict some ups and downs here, and especially some downs. I think the frustration goes into how the transition feels like it hasn't been seamlessly as it was first thrown out there. I mean, it was, as we're going to kind of go into the second question here, uh, which does come in from Stephen Kemp about, you know, do you think the narrative of nothing changes business as usual after Jay's uh, retirement and Neptune's appointment led to some unrealistic season expectations? And I think these two questions really blend in with each other. Most certainly I do, because as, you know, as a school, they really bought into, well, not much is going to change. We kept it in the family. Kyle Neptune's been here as an assistant for so many years. He went away for that one year, gets his head coaching experience. You know, a lot of this team stays together, though, of course, you had the graduations. Things will be all right. There's enough in place. However, understanding that, first off, Jay Wright is gone. Second off, you lose a Gillespie and a Samuels with Justin Moore than not being able to play, you know, for at, at this point, all of the season. And we'll see if he does, if and when he does come back. It forced a lot of these players, guys that were more role players, your Caleb Daniels, you know, your Brandon Slaters into a, a bigger spotlight. And what they've shown thus far is that they haven't been able to shoulder that burden. So I do think that both of it, yes, there is some hindsight to say, we knew that bumps were coming. I'm not sure you could have predicted that this many bumps were coming. And absolutely, I think that that narrative most certainly played into how we framed things going into the season. Question comes in from Nick C. Why didn't we recruit a point guard in the portal? Understanding uh, kind of what was on this current roster, as well as that Justin Moore might really need some time to recover. I totally get your point. Uh, if you actually listen to the last episode uh, of our last season uh, between Emma and I, I advocated very hard for Villanova to hit the transfer portal and add a point guard because I loved Mark Armstrong coming in, but it was really tough to, to fully quantify the loss that a Colin Gillespie was going to have over this program. Now, why didn't they recruit a point guard in the portal? I believe that a big part of that was because with this transition and with how things went down, where, you know, Jay Wright, uh, Mark Jackson, and Father Peter were the only ones that knew of this for a very long time. It eventually leaks towards, you know, the end of April and gets out very quickly. This was not something that everyone kind of knew was coming forward, and that meaning players, recruits, etc. here. So what happened is that, at least my view of it, uh, is that once this stuff gets out, it was absolutely the new coaching staff's number one priority to re-recruit their own guys, you know, make sure that it's just throwing it out of there as an example, but you know, an Eric Dixon or a Caleb Daniels does not look to enter the transfer portal, find somewhere else knowing that their, their head coach is now gone. But more than that too, ensuring that 
this freshman recruiting class still ended up at Villanova. We knew that that was going to be so key, and I think that Jay really keyed in on that being so important for understanding how this team is going to be built, that that was the main priority, was keeping just trying to keep everything intact and say, we'll figure out the rest later. Now, they were successful in doing that. The only uh, the only transfer out was Brian Antoine, which was a transfer that I'm pretty sure would have happened either way. They were able to keep you know, all three of the recruits, which was very, very important because that most certainly was not a guarantee when this news came down. Brendan Housen even said he's going to reopen his uh, recruitment and then just a couple of days later committed back here to Villanova. So I think they looked at that. And by the time that they really joined the game of musical chairs, that is the transfer portal, things were already in motion. They were playing catch up and weren't able to, to really figure out that, that right fit there. Now, now that we go into year two, there is absolutely zero excuse for Villanova to hit this transfer portal. And they're going to have to hit it hard and probably in some multiple areas. I mean, I, I would not be surprised if Villanova goes after, you know, two or even three players to bring into the transfer portal because the recruiting class right now is small with just Jordan Dumont, though he has been playing very, very nicely for his high school team. And I think that's very exciting to look forward to. And we know there's going to be a loss rather through graduation and, and NBA draft. So uh, there is no possible way for Villanova to move forward here without hitting that transfer portal. Nova star comes in with a, an interesting question kind of here around, you know, Justin Moore uh, talking about Justin Moore making the best decision for his future and kind of asking about, well, can we find some way to get NIL for him? You know, maybe entice him to stay for another year rather than uh, explore the, uh, the NBA waters, which is very, very possible, even if he doesn't play from this Achilles. I take this a little differently where I look at it as a whole. And again, it kind of goes into that transfer portal that we just talked about that NIL is becoming so big and not is becoming, it is so big um, in college athletics. I think you're seeing it a little more in college football where recruits just go nuts with it. But you saw with Isaiah Wong and, and Miami basically telling the school, if you don't get me this deal, I am going to leave. I think you're going to see that become more and more prevalent prevalent throughout the sport. Do I ever think you're going to see that at Villanova? Who knows? Um, I, I know Villanova is a different type of program, but can you ever rule it out with the way things are going? I'm not quite sure that you can. Now, I know that Villanova has at least started to lay some sorts of groundwork here. You know, Ashley Howard and Randy Foy running with friends of Villanova. To, to try and get things started really on the NIL front. But it was so difficult for these schools to really be prepared for this because one day there were guidelines and the next day they were not. And that all comes down on the NCAA, which we could spend many episodes talking on the malpractice that goes on there and has gone on there. But that's part of why things weren't as you know ready to, to go into effect on day one. Do I hope Justin Moore can get a really good uh, NIL deal and stay for another year? 100%. I think he's even done some stuff with Wawa in the past, uh, which of course has a Villanovan um, as their CEO. So, you know, any way we can help out there, I'm all for it. Question comes in from Conrad. Conrad always asks great questions uh, when he does send these through. I really like this one. Um, does this season benefit or hurt Jay Wright's legacy as a coach? On one hand, it makes you appreciate what he did here, but as a lot of people are pointing out, development has not been as great as we thought. I also look at this one as a double-edged sword here 
Uh, first off, does it hurt his legacy? No, I, I don't think it hurts his legacy just with everything that he accomplished here. He is the greatest coach in Villanova history. He's one of the greatest college basketball coaches we've ever seen. Obviously, college basketball hall of, or basketball hall of famer, excuse me, gold medalist. can go coach of the decade on and on and on in, in terms of those accomplishments. So legacy very much intact, even after seeing how things changed really here after year one or in year one of him retiring. However, he is also not faultless in the way that this team has been put together because he was the one that really was the architect behind how this team came into effect. Kyle Neptune, of course, took over in April. Your foundation for the roster was very much set beforehand. So Jay Wright's hand was all over this roster, and he most certainly, if you want to loop him into how things have turned out, I think that's fair. Um, you know, how much do things change if Jay is the coach over Kyle? I think they probably change a little bit. I think you see a little bit better substitution and timeout management. I wonder how the minutes allocation may change. And I could see Villanova having, you know, an extra couple wins, but it's an extra couple wins. The Jay Wright being the coach would not have turned this season in particular around just with how this team is built there are too many flaws there are too many faults that one coach could have done it can you say that you'd feel better about how things will look in the future because you understand that jay wright's there and you know what he can bring in on their recruiting class and he's got the track record for it absolutely but for this season if we look at it in a vacuum like that i think that I'm not sure how much things do change there. John Palme comes in with a question. John Palme always asking us questions. Is it time to start focusing on the underclassmen and giving them significantly more minutes per game to start prepping for next year? Ah, So it's that last part of your question, the start prepping for next year, that I think still hits people. And listen, it hits me very hard as I record this on January 11th to start thinking about next season. Now, yes, in my mind, this loss to DePaul here on Tuesday ends things for Villanova to be able to get into the NCAA tournament as an at-large bid. We discussed it a little bit on Tuesday where Villanova had not been able to this point to really find ways to add that marquee win that will really make your resume look good. So while they continue to try and find that or find those really, if they were going to get into the tournament, they needed to avoid having that loss that really stuck out on your resume and losing to DePaul most certainly is that loss, which is why I do think things are now over as an at large bid type scenario. We look to playing guys for next year in all honesty I'm not sure how much of a choice Neptune is going to have based on how things are currently constituted. The school came out and said Jordan Longino is going to be reevaluated in two weeks with a hamstring strain. You never know with hamstrings. You hope it's not that bad and he can be out on the floor sooner rather than later. But those things can have a tendency to linger on. And Longino would be one of those guys that you want to be out there and really extend his minutes for. You know, you you look then for guys like Cam Whitmore. Well, Cam Whitmore is not going to be here next year, though it still makes sense to to give him plenty of run. So if we're trying to identify guys of who are the young guys that I would want to see more minutes for, I mean, Mark Armstrong played 26 minutes here against DePaul, even while he was not super effective. I love to see the minutes there. I just, how much more will that go up if he's not playing great? 
that's kind of my question around there. Uh, Brendan Housen is always going to be an interesting one just because we know what he can, of course, do from beyond the arc. We've seen it, but it's also very clear that he has serious defensive liability issues, where which is why Villanova very often when he comes into a game switches straight to a matchup zone because they know they need to try and find ways to, to shield those. Now, if you're playing at a point where you don't think you're going to get an at-large bid anyway, does it make more sense maybe to give Housen some extra run? Because say he gives up an extra couple points, but you're able to further that development. Is that a trade-off you're willing to take? Certainly might be. So he's one that I'm interested in. And Trey Patterson is... The question of Trey Patterson is the way I frame it because I'm so pulling for him to to come through here, but we're still yet to see, you know, what made him such a highly regarded guy coming out of, of high school there in New Jersey. There are just so many instances where it seems like the comfort level isn't there. It happened against DePaul. He lost his man a couple times. He got boxed out, out-rebounded a, a couple times around the rim, and that's what Villanova needs more of. Um, so I, I'm i curious to see how that progresses. And then finally, Nana Njoku would be the guy you look at. But again, very difficult to pin because he's been missing time with, with this foot injury. So it's curious in that, you know, there aren't as many guys as you may think where it's like, oh, it's easy. Just increase the minutes for... For the guys that are going out, you know, you know, Caleb Daniels, and Brandon Slater are most certainly on their way out. Chris Archidiakono has another year of eligibility. So there is most definitely a chance that that he is back. Eric Dixon expected to be back with the program next year as well. So it's something to follow for sure, but it's not something that I think is as cut and dry as just, okay, that's probably it. Let's let's start cranking up the minutes here, especially with the loss of a guy like Brizzy uh, to that transfer portal and, and Longino. We just don't know when he's going to be back. Along those lines, we get the question here from Matt Berger. You know, do you see a path to the NIT schedule is very tough down the road? And it most certainly is a difficult schedule down the road here for Villanova. There are plenty of tough Big East games that still are ahead of them here in the sledding. Just to name a few, they've got Providence, Marquette, Creighton, uh, not Seton Hall, sorry. Um, Providence again, Xavier, Creighton again, and then of course finish with Connecticut. It's a lot of very good teams varying, whether it be on the home, uh, at home or on the road. So not easy, of course. As we look towards the NIT, no, I do not think it is a guarantee that, that Villanova is in the NIT. However, the NIT criteria is a little different from the NCAA tournament and also understanding the teams that really could be there in the NIT too. I'm not sure that that committee would pass up having the opportunity to have a Villanova in there playing with teams like a Kentucky, like a Texas Tech, like an Illinois, like a Penn State, like an Oregon, you know, all question marks, of course, plenty of time left, but um that's how things are at least looking for a lot of those teams. It just, it benefits them to have some more of these bigger names in it. So I, I think Villanova does get a, a bit of an upper hand there, but oh boy, is it just depressing to even say that Villanova should have an upper hand into the NIT tournament. So not ready to do a full breakdown on that yet, um, but we can talk about it as we get closer to it. And of course, you know, I, I guess you can't say that the chances for Nova getting into the NCAA tournament as a whole are completely dead because there is, that special place in the middle of Manhattan um, where Villanova has shown over the years, they just find ways to to put runs together and win. And of course, if they won that Big East tournament, however unlikely as that most certainly appears on January 11th, they are in the big dance. 
And then we finish with one more question. It's the guy we always finish with because we love getting his questions in from Jerry Quinn. Three cues from him starting off. Who needs to step up to turn this season around? I think I kind of went for it where I said I you just need more from Brandon Slater for this Villanova team to, to really reach heights that I think many expected them to. It's been too inconsistent. He's had too many negative effects on this team and that really cannot happen. I mean, maybe you look for a little bit more consistency out of some of the younger guys too, but that's why there's some of the younger guys. They, they don't have that consistency and that track record to really fall back on yet. So I'll go with slate there as someone that I think, you know, at least we've seen inclinations of him being able to do it before. So if he's able to turn, turn it around and add some extra, I think you get some more punch from this Villanova team. Interesting question comes in here. Does the fan base need a reset on expectations since we have been spoiled for the past 10 years? And, oh, Jerry, have we been so spoiled over the last 10 years? I think it's actually incredible to look at that really the consistency that Villanova has had since that uh, very rough season in, in 2012 where they went 13 and 19. You know, of course, you factor in all the Big East regular season championships, the Big East tournament championships, oh, by the way, two national championships and an additional Final Four from just a year ago. Um, the achievement and consistency that this team has put in has been unbelievable. And it's a part of why this season and the results of this season can be so striking at times. It's why I think when you're reading a lot of the reaction to this stuff, it is so emotional because it's been a while since Villanova has been in this situation. So I do think, as we kind of talked about before, expectations can take that step back and say, hey, there are a lot of changes for this team year over year, and they are trying to figure things out, and some guys are putting some spots where, you know what, maybe they weren't built for. But it's more of a wait-and-see approach for we've seen that things have not worked out this year. I'm very curious how things will progress now in the future um, for if this Villanova team and this Villanova program changes some of the things that they've done to really adapt with the times and adapt with some of the changing challenges that they are facing. And then finally, how much did your heart sink when the graphic was on TV about the DePaul Villanova win streak? Yeah, I mean, that that's the image that I think really sticks in your head is the 22-game win streak up there. Uh, you know, the longest current active streak between Power 5 conference teams. Um it's stuck. Um, just as I said, 2008 was the last time that DePaul did beat Villanova. I uh, did look this up a little bit this morning. Um, some of the most popular movies from 2008, The Dark Knight, uh, Iron Man, my personal favorite uh, Marvel movie, Twilight, and Mamma Mia. So 15 years ago, just to think about that for to give you a little bit of a time frame and, and a little bit of a time stamp for where things were then. It, it certainly hits you. Another question comes in from Chris Lane via Hoops on Chris Lane. Uh, what has to happen for you to get back on the bandwagon? It, this is a tough one because I, I think that expectations have kind of reached a place where it's difficult to recover from it. I'm not sure that there's a getting back on the bandwagon for this year other than knowing that there are some other opportunities for Villanova to come away with some big wins, you know, against some some good uh, Big East opponents, have they shown the ability that they can do that? No. But will they have the opportunity to do that? Absolutely. So I'd love to see Nova try and take a scalp somewhere. I'd love to continue to see some development. 
uh, you know, down the line with some of these guys. Uh, I want to continue to see Mark Armstrong get some of that playing time. But I think things are are kind of in a spot where I'm not sure what the recovery period looks like uh, for this season, but interested uh, what you or anyone else thinks. So thanks, Chris. And sticking with those named Chris, uh, we get a, a tweet here from Chris from the full 40, which before I even go in here, I know this episode is dropping on uh, January 12th. Uh, Chris, the full 40, Alan Ray, uh, going to be co-hosting a Twitter space to really talk about kind of the state of Villanova and what happened on Tuesday with DePaul. Uh, if you are around, I believe they're shooting for around 9 p.m. Eastern on that night. Uh, be sure to, to hop in it. I mean, Chris always does an awesome job uh, running these things, and it will really be an opportunity uh, to hear a lot of different Villanova perspectives. Uh, I unfortunately have a uh, previous commitment, so I am unsure if I'm going to be able to hop in, but if I'm around... I most certainly will. But to Chris's question, uh, is the real reason I'm upset with this season is that it means that Rob Dormish is closest to being right about our Big East Pick'em. And what he's referring to, of course, is the Big East Pick'em that was done between uh, some of the different Villanova content creators here. Uh, and as we take a look at it, Rob was the most down, I guess, uh, is the way to put it, on Villanova. Uh, going into Big East play where he had them finishing at uh, 10 and 10. Uh, if you're wondering for uh, for comparison's sake, uh, I had Villanova going 13 and 7 in Big East play, and uh, Emma had them at 12 and 8. Um, I think that's probably part of it, Chris, uh, why, why we're looking at it. I think the other part of it is uh, just everything. That's gone into it. It has been uh, it has been rough as we know. Um, but appreciate the question, buddy. And if, for people, if you don't listen to the full forty, uh, Chris, Rob, and Willie this year uh, do a do a really awesome job, and always love talking with those guys. But okay, I think that's enough on DePaul and, and kind of programmatically where Villanova is at the moment. There will be so much more time for us to discuss that. Uh, going forward uh, throughout this season, and we most certainly will. But as we start to turn the page and start to look toward, you know, a chance for Villanova to find a place to pick themselves off the mat because they are most certainly on the mat. They have a game on Friday night against Butler at Hinkle Fieldhouse. Uh, Butler sitting at 10 and 8 overall, 2 and 5 in conference. And I look at it there as... You know, it, we look at Villanova trying to exercise some demons from Tuesday, especially, and some demons we've seen all throughout the season. What better place than trying to go on the road and, and go into Hinkle and win a place that has tortured Villanova at times, has had some brutal, brutal losses there. I mean, you think just in recent times, you think of the Kamar Baldwin step back three uh, to, to finish off Nova. You had uh, Villanova during the national championship year where Butler scored 101 uh, if I am remembering that correctly. Um, so, it, yeah, they did score 101. Um, so some memories, some not-so-good memories from Hinkle uh, would be a nice way to to really start to try and kickstart this program. Uh, as we look to the Butler Bulldogs, this iteration of the Butler Bulldogs, uh, their best win thus far this season was over a Kansas State team. That's actually a pretty good Kansas State team, but... Otherwise, consistency has been a real issue for them. It has been a disaster since the calendar switched over 
into mid-December and we got into conference play. Uh, Butler does have two Big East wins, both of those wins, Georgetown and DePaul. Well, as Villanovans, we learned that DePaul should now not be chalked up as a conference win. But Georgetown, they did win by 29. Of their five Big East losses, they've been very bad, first off. So the teams they lost to, you know, respectable teams, but Connecticut, Creighton, Providence, Seton Hall, and St. John's, their margin of defeat through those, 22, 22, 20, 25, and 16. So yes, you heard that right. In Butler's losses, only once have they lost thus far this season to a Big East team by less than 20 points, and it was still 16. It's been a a brutal, brutal start to conference play for the Bulldogs. A part of that is because Butler is the only team uh, in the Big East that currently averages fewer points offensively than Villanova. They're also right around where Villanova is uh, in terms of rebounding. So at least on the offensive side of the ball and a part of the defensive glass, these teams do align a little bit there. As we look at this Butler roster, uh, they're a bit of a mix of new and old, but first we'll start with what's old as new, as I try not to mess up uh, my words too much there, and that is with Thad Motto, of course, coming in as the coach of Butler. This is our first real close look at Thad Motta uh, back here with Butler. Uh, he is bu- a Butler Bulldog through and through. He was a player for Butler. He graduated from Butler. He was an administrative assistant and assistant coach, and then a the coach for a year in 2001 when Butler was part of the Midwestern Collegiate Conference. Uh, he did coach two Final Four teams at Ohio State, and he last coached in 2017 where he was replaced by Chris Holtman, the former Butler coach, because, of course, time is a flat circle. We'll start with the old names, uh, the ones that you'll recognize here. Chuck Harris, uh, not too much has changed in his game. You know, he's got the ability to be hot. He's got the ability to be cold uh, in a game this year against Tennessee Tech. He scored 32. He's also had some sub five point performances here. He is a good player. He is a player that can catch fire, but he is not a player that I think you Butler really relies on for consistency. Jaden Taylor, another one you should recognize year two now uh, with the Bulldogs, continuing his developments, kind of upped his points. You know, usually a big part of this offense, able to use a little bit of his athleticism. Uh, Seamus Lukosius was a really important keep, we'll say, for this Butler program after the firing uh, of Laval Jordan. Uh, He did enter the transfer portal, though only to end up back here at Butler. And what Lukosius really does well is just burn you from deep. Uh, Shooting 38%. Uh, from beyond the arc, he's got kind of this long looping shot uh, as it appears, but it goes in. Um, and he's a really important uh, of what part of what Butler does. Uh, Eric Hunter is a Purdue transfer, adds some punch, uh, though is a very poor free throw shooter um, for their guards. Uh, and Manny Bates is a really fun one here for Butler. A lot of intrigue around him. Only played in you know a couple of minutes in the first game of the year for NC State. Had a leg injury. Missed the rest of the season, transfers to Butler, uh, and has been a a really good addition for Butler here. I mean, what he does best as a big is protect the basket. Uh, You know, in his collegiate career, twice he's averaged about three blocks a game. He's down to two this year, but still two blocks a game. Um, Villanova sees nothing like that uh, from themselves defensively. So Bates is going to cause a little bit of an issue on the interior. With what he's able to bring there is also averaging 13 points a game. So uh, an interesting test here for Eric Dixon, who had a tough time, you know, against Deshaun Nelson. How is he able to uh, really cope 
with Manny Bates. Ali Ali as well, a Akron transfer comes in. He started the last game for Jalen Thomas. Just some names to look at for Butler. You know, as we take a step back and kind of view this Butler team as a team, uh, offensively, they are just not very good. I mentioned it. They score the least amount of points uh, in the conference. Uh, offensively, if we look at Kempom, they're 132nd in the country. Uh, they really don't do anything particularly well uh, out there. You know, they do have some guys that can hurt you, but Butler actually suffers from a lot of the the issue that Villanova does in that they go stagnant on offense very often, and it's difficult for them to really claw themselves out of it when they do allow these other teams to go on a run because they don't pack the punch to be able to do so. We look at the defensive side of the ball, and this is where I'm so curious because how much of it have we discussed about Villanova and three-point shooting? Well, Butler this year is allowing teams to score from two at a rate of 60% of points allowed, which is good, bad, however you want to look at it, for 10th uh, in the country. So they can get gashed uh, from two here. I, does Villanova try and take advantage? You know, do, While Manny Bates is going to be a tough matchup for Eric Dixon, how does that look? Do we see some of that slashing that I think we've called for for the last however many episodes uh, for Villanova to try and find ways to, to score in different ways and maybe keep some teams honest. It seems like Butler would be a potential avenue for them to be able to explore that. I'm curious to see if they do it. Um, I know we're down. I know things have been rough, uh, but even I will predict that Villanova goes in the hinkle and comes away with a win uh, on Friday night. And I think they desperately, desperately need a win just for team morale here. Is that a guarantee most certainly not. This Villanova team has proven that nothing is a guarantee, but just something that I'm watching for. And then finally, this is actually a double preview because by the time you hear Emma and I next, uh, Villanova will play two games, being that the Cats do take on the Georgetown Hoyas yet again, finish their season series with them uh, on Monday. It is MLK Day. It is at the Finneran Pavilion, and it is a noon tip. What I am most interested in is I really want to see what type of crowd comes out on Monday. Understanding that this Butler game is still going to be a pretty difficult one for the Cats, just under their current constraints um, and where they are probably, uh, not probably, but where they are as a team right now. You know, if the Cats do go out and drop that game as well, making it a three-game losing streak, and at that point it'll be losing five of their last six, what does Nova Nation look like on that Monday with it being a noon game as well? I'm quite curious. And say even if they win that game, what does Nova Nation look like? And what is the type of reception that the team gets? So that's what I'm most looking to. I cannot give you a Georgetown preview because Georgetown quite simply does not deserve one. So the, the simplest thing I can say is that they are playing the Hoyas. They have to win. It's as simple as that. There are no other options when you play Georgetown, especially at home. And that's is how we will end this thing. So thank you to everyone for riding along with me on this solo show. Uh, hopefully I didn't make your ears bleed too much, uh, but appreciate you sticking with me. Uh, I know it's a rough time. It is rock bottom or most certainly feels that way, but the only way to get out of rock bottom is to claw yourself back up. And that is what Villanova will have the opportunity at here against Butler on Friday and Georgetown on Monday. 
But that'll do it for us here on the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to check out VUHoops.com for all your Villanova content all season long. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at S-O-N-N-Pod. Help us get to 1,000 followers, please. And follow the show on Spotify. Uh, As I said, we will be back at it on Tuesday. Everyone, take a deep breath. Enjoy the game on Friday. I hope everyone has a great MLK day and can hopefully enjoy the game on Monday as well. And Nova Nation, 